uncovering your truth and fire one conversation at a time. This is the Spitfire Podcast. The Spitfire Podcast is brought to you by the Spitfire Coach based in Washington, D.C. If you want to put the fun back in your business or the passion back in your career, head on over to spitfirecoach.com and sign on up for a complimentary discovery call to see how coaching can light a fire under you. What's going on, guys? It's your host, Lauren Lemunyan. Now, before we get to episode 48, I want to just remind you that I've got a book out. It's called Spitting Fire, How to Reignite and Maintain Your Passion at Home, Work, and Beyond. You can get your hands on it on my website at spitfirecoach.com slash book, or you can get it on Amazon. I'm currently working on the Kindle version, so hold tight if you're waiting for that. It'll be out in the next month. But head on over to Amazon or my website and get your hands on Spitting Fire so you can spit that fire. It's time for episode 48 with Chris Lewis from Lewis PR. He's the CEO and founder and the co-author of the Leadership Lab. Now we're just going to get right to the conversation. So here we go. Sparkle, hustle, grow. Yes. A little like different that. than the Financial Times. I know. Financial, time, <laughs> financial Times does sound a bit pompous, doesn't it? I think, actually. <laughs> Do you want I to think, be in Sparkle, Hustle, Grow? I, th- I, I, yeah, think, I think this I, would be a great book for I think it. the Financial Times should rename itself Sparkle, Hustle, Grow. You know, it's already taken. Because, but the thing is, if you think about it, it's halfway there. It's already printed in pink. It is. Financial Times is pink. So what we need to change one, maybe like glitter, hustle, grow. Ah, that's a good idea. Yeah, we'll if just... the Financial Times had more glitter, <laughs> it would definitely appeal. I'd buy it a lot more than I do now. What if we called it like glitter, gold, awesomeness? Because yeah, that would that would be good, but it upset all of the white middle aged men that run it. That's oh, the thing. You see, isn't it's isn't got, every white middle aged man upset right now? I, well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, after we've written that book, they'll even be more upset. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We're just going to go into our podcast because we're, we're rocking and rolling right now. I am sitting here with Chris Lewis, the co-author extraordinaire of the Leadership Lab, and he is also the founder and CEO of Lewis PR. All the way out, you're, where are you heading to after this? I see a suitcase in the corner. Oh, well, heading back to London this evening, but we've just come from San Francisco and San Diego, and then from London, we're heading to Boston, and then back over to San Francisco and that sort of thing. So uh, uh, I'm per- permanently accompanied by jet lag. Oh, is it is it your good friend or or frenemy? Uh, jet jet lag is 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 almost like my shadow. Your so shadow. It, it's right. So it's sort of the six o'clock shadow. <laughs> so it goes with me absolutely everywhere everywhere I go. That's that's awesome. Well, thank you for uh, penciling us in, making time for the Spitfire well, thank podcast. You, well, thank you, Lauren. It's a it's a wonderful Friday afternoon in DC, <laughs> and the city's all emptying out, ready for the weekend. There's only us still here. It's just us. We, I think there might be two or three more people. I, I've heard some voices in the corner. But thank you for, for spending the time here. The Leadership Lab, I read the notes. I have not had the chance to read this, but um, I am super curious about this because I spend a lot of time with leaders. Um, and I know that you have just based on this book. Um, but let's just kick it off. You interview a lot of people throughout this book, and you have a co-author, uh, Pippa Malgram. Pippa Malgram, yes, yes. Uh, former presidential advisor, yes. Awesome. So what was the inspiration behind this book? Uh, so uh, Pippa and I uh, have a, a lot in common in that we both uh, coach uh, senior business people, uh, senior politicians, members of the royal family, leading business figures. And I've been involved in the women's movement in politics for the last 15 years as well. And there's a certain amount of reflexivity involved in us writing because she's an American living in London and I'm a Brit living in America. And so we, we come to compare notes. And one of the things we compare notes on is what type of changes we're seeing in leadership. So 
what is the biggest change or the most impactful change that you're seeing in leadership? So what we're seeing is is uh, is, is is a number of changes across a wide number of, of variables. But the biggest the biggest change is that we're moving away from a uh, a drill down analytical type of thinking, which is based upon Western reductionist philosophy, basically analyze all the data and drill down. And uh, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But what we're saying is that we need to move to a look across type of join the dots thinking as well as the drill down. Mm-hmm. Because uh, what's happening is that people are getting to know an awful lot about a very small area, but they're missing the big picture. So what I'm hearing you say is that kind of the jack of all trades is taking over from the hyper-focused singular expert. Well, uh, this is one of the problems in the 20th century because leadership and, and business leadership in particular uh, became about the binaries. It either is one thing or it isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't. And what we're saying is that this is an age where both can coexist. Mm-hmm. Both the analytical world and the, and the parenthetic world can exist. So you can have drill down and look across. And that's when it works t- together. So we need, to, we need to be preparing leaders for a world where it's not just masculine or feminine, but both skills being deployed. Not just thinking about rich or poor, but thinking about both. Not mm-hmm. just thinking about local or global, but thinking about both. Because it is possible, for instance, for lots of things to coexist, such as you can be quite well educated, but also be stupid at the same time. Mm -hmm. We've seen examples of that. (laughs) We're not going to say where. (laughs) (laughs) So what were you most surprised by as you were putting this book together? Well, uh, uh, I think uh, some some of the surprises has been the extent to which uh, people get it. And one of the phrases I picked up in in DC is how people sometimes describe themselves as woke, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, and and quite a few people are, are woke. And then there's an awful lot of people that definitely don't get it. And we're seeing a litany of those things being paraded through the the media, whether it's the Volkswagen's emissions scandals, mm-hmm. or the Catholic Church, or we're seeing uh, the rigging of interest rates uh, and the problems in the banking and financial community, or we're seeing the problems, for instance, in the motion picture industry. Mm-hmm. They all come to a, a similar problem, which is a lack of imagination in leadership, a lack of responsibility that borders on recklessness. Mm. Yeah, we, I think what you're saying is is true and has been true for a long time. Do you see it more as an awareness to it now, or is it, or is it now a shift and change of people's ability to, or lack of ability to tolerate the nonsense. Well, I think it's it's both of those things, but it's also uh, an indication of a, a time-honored business phrase, which is that if change isn't allowed to be a process, it becomes an event. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing now is a whole bunch of events in these industries based around this uh, notion that somehow there is inf- an infallible leader. Mm-hmm. And we pick this up in the book, which is that you know we wanted to examine the provenance of this notion of infallible leadership. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it is a sort of Judeo-Christian model that says this is Jesus Christ or this is Moses and they are infallible mm-hmm. and uh, or we've got uh, Steve Jobs or we've got Elon Musk and they are infallible mm-hmm. and this model of infallible leadership is uh, is often based on one single person and it's often a, a, a white male mm-hmm. as well and, 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 and that shows us the weakness in the system because we have to move away from the notion of just the focus on the leader to the focus on the leadership and so uh, so in the future it's less about the leader and more about the ship the diversity of support in the senior group and one of the things we picked up on in the book was this notion that so many 
infallible leaders felt they had to be the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And our message to them is that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Mm-hmm. Because your job is to make everybody else feel like they're the smartest person in the room. That's the correct role of leaders. Oh, I have a lot of leaders I'd like to give this book to. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure they'll use it as a door wedge. <laughs> yeah, probably would. Well, that, that actually is a great segue to my next question of, you know, have you received any pushback from, from any leaders after writing this book? Well, I've been involved in the women's movement for 15 years in, in, in politics, mm-hmm. and I've received a, a lot of um, uh, advice. Uh, from other solicited or unsolicited, uh, uh, both actually, <laughs> both, and 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 sometimes uh, women say to me, "What that? What the hell is a white middle-aged man doing involved in the women's movement?" Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is that you don't have to be a victim of injustice to want to fight it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and uh, if if men have no role in the in the women's movement, then what were the Kennedys doing in the Black Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s? Because they weren't. They weren't subject to racial discrimination themselves, but they still wanted to fight it. And so, uh, so my point in the book with Pippers is that you don't uh, that the fight against injustice should be open to anybody, irrespective of their gender or their age or their colour or their creed. If you feel strongly about injustice, you'll want to fight it. And we believe that that right in writing this book, we've identified that this. The, the issue of diversity is not just about social justice. Of course it's about that, but it's also about business efficiency. Mm. And that if you really want to bring out the coalition of talents that exists in a senior leadership team, then you have to embrace it in an a pluribus unum type of way. It's a very American idea that mm. if you believe in democracy and you believe in diversity, that's where the strength comes from. What about the people who don't believe in diversity? Well, uh, this is one of the interesting ideas because I travel in and out of America quite a bit. And uh, and people say, oh, I'm so sorry, we're very divided at the moment and we've never been more partisan, as if it's some form of shame mm-hmm. or weakness. And I travel to countries around the world where there is no diversity and there is no division and there is no alternative opinion. And I can assure you that's not a sign of, of strength. So you were talking about having efficiency from diversity. What efficiencies... If, if a company is looking at remodeling, I'm saying remodeling, but of mixing it up in their leadership cohort, hmm. what are the efficiencies that they should look to improve on? Well, one of the inspirations of the uh, for the book actually came after a long transatlantic flight where I arrived at a rental uh, uh, car station in um, in California, only to imagine my delight when I they told me they didn't have the car I w- I'd ordered and I had to wait for an hour. And I thought, well, how well can I use my time for an hour? And so I sat and watched people rent cars. And I watched women arrive, and often they would be with their children, and they'd put their children into the car, they'd put the seat belts on, they'd walk around, they'd look at the car, they'd get in, they'd adjust the seat, adjust the mirror, check all the controls, then they'd start the engine, and then they'd move out of the lot in a careful, controlled manner. The men approached it slightly differently. They strided confidently over to the car, got in it, started the engine, floored it, and squealed the wheels as they went out of the lot in many instances. So you tell me who you'd like driving the car. That's a great point. <laughs> and this is one I of hope the, the men didn't have kids with them because the kids would be left behind. <laughs> well, this is one of the things that the point that we make in the book, which is that for too long, we've we've correlated competence with confidence. Mm. And the, there are plenty of confident males out there. And people say, well, if you're confident, you must be competent. And that may be true some of the time, but it's not always the case mm-hmm. because that confidence can can uh, can bubble over into recklessness. And if you looked at the scandals that we've seen in the motion picture industry or in the Catholic Church or in banking and finance or even with Bernie Madoff in his Ponzi scheme, 
Um, it's not the lack of data that was available uh, that, uh, to, to say this crisis was going to happen. It was a lack of imagination to say people would not notice this or, or find it acceptable in the long term. I mean, this was hiding in plain view for many years, mm -hmm. and it was the recklessness of those leaders which actually caused the crisis in the industry. Mm -hmm. And we have to ask the question, and, uh, and, uh, and this is what we pose in the book, which is if we'd had more balanced leadership teams with more masculine and feminine skills in mm -hmm. them, do we think that they would be have been that reckless? Yeah. It also sounds like there's a much more educated consumer now. So what would have been trusted as the right way or or the trusted source, like a Volkswagen. Volkswagen was a very trusted brand. Yeah. Um, I think they still are, even with the scandal, people still, maybe it's a little skewed now. But I think that there is now this heightened awareness that when people read something or they hear something that they're investigating a lot more. I, I, I agree. And and, and so the, the grail for a lot of brands that we consult with around the world, we, we have many clients, 30 offices and 500 people around the world. And most of the brands want to be modern, aspirant and representative. And one of the questions I would ask, it, which is, is how is how is having a how is having a balanced masculine and feminine set of skills at the top of that organisation not an indicator of modern aspirants and representation? Mm -hmm. After all, if you're going to lead a group of people and you're going to go to a constituency, it helps if you look like the constituency you're seeking to serve. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the biggest risk for a company that is not adapting to to this shift and change in leadership? Well, you can, you can see them around the world. It leads to scandal. It leads to a massive loss of, of value. It leads to innocent people losing their jobs. Mm -hmm. It leads to there's, there's not much good that can, that can come of it. Uh, the, the good thing is that it accelerates the process of change. But the worrying thing is that people might think that all leaders are like this mm -hmm. and that the whole capital system is wrong because it doesn't serve the constituents um, uh, that own it. Mm -hmm. And this is the point that we me make in the book, which is that it's okay for businesses to make money because when they do, governments tax them. And when individuals make money, governments tax them as well. And if they, make, if they float their companies, the governments tax the shareholdings. And if they sell their companies, the government taxes that as well. And so if you care about public services and you care about a strong government providing the infrastructure, then you recognize that business is good because it pays taxes that, that make all that possible. Mm -hmm. In what case is business bad? Well, when it's exploitative of the environment or of, or of people, I mean, business is supposed to be about and should be a process of bringing out potential in people. Mm -hmm. I think business was once described as the management of social relationships for profit, where mm -hmm. profit may be considered to be financial. It's an excellent definition because it says that business isn't a technical process, it, that it isn't a, uh, a financial process, that it isn't just a legal process. It's a process amongst people rather than, than uh, uh, the, uh, managing those relationships for a profit or an added value, which could be financial. It's very important for people to understand that really in the business world, finance is there a bit like fire. It's a good servant, but it's an evil master. Mm -hmm. Fire is good if it cooks your food and heats your house, but it's bad if it burns your house down. And there are too many good leadership teams which have been destroyed mm -hmm. by making finance their god. Mm. I like the tie-in with fire. It's very on brand for the podcast. Well, that's why I mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I have a, a more fun question for you. So if you were... Uh, crafting your dream team of your C-suite using only celebrities. Oh, Who would you put on so. your dream team? Well, the, 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 there's one of the 
questions that often gets asked of people when they're going into political representation of who their heroes are. And the first mistake they, they make is by citing political heroes that everybody's heard of. Because the real heroes and the real celebrities are the ordinary people that are out there doing ordinary jobs. Mm -hmm. And one of the things when people say, who did you interview from a leadership point of view and, uh, and what was their style? One of the things we point out is that you'll see more leadership and more fiscal management and more logistics in watching a single parent family bringing up three kids mm -hmm. on a limited income. You'll see more in HR, you'll see more fiscal skills, you'll see more leadership ability, you'll see more resilience and m learn more about leadership by looking at them and making them your celebrities because the heroism that goes on uh, around the world in terms of what makes great leaders is not going on in the spotlight. Mm. Don't be mistaken by that. They're just the ones that are actually sitting on a bigger platform. Real leadership can be displayed anywhere by anyone, and often you'll find it in the most difficult circumstances. That's an amazing point. I speak a lot on this podcast about eliminating the comparison with all of these social media glitz and glamour of people saying, well, I'm not doing that, so I'm not good enough. So if you could think of those key qualities of what you see as that make the most effective, impactful, and positive leader? Let's say three. What would the top three be? Well, no, number one would be uh, a sense of humor. And, uh, and people say, well, why does anybody take a sense of humor seriously? Uh, because one of the great paradoxes, which is that when somebody's, having a, when somebody's got a sense of humor, they display the same terms of reference, the same judgment, the same timing. Uh, it, they may be fun to work with. They'll certainly be more relaxed. Every psychologist will tell you that all competence follows preference. Of all of the people I've ever trained or coached, I've never met anybody who can get good at something that they hate. <laughs> and so, so some of the very best people that I've seen, indeed some of the most wealth-creating, have been people that look like they're having a great deal of fun. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, they provide an example for leadership. Because the last thing people want to see when they look at leaders is people who are tired and snappy and overworked and under pressure. Why would anybody want to aspire to be like that? Mm. Secondly, uh, leaders should teach because, as Plato told us, uh, when you teach, you learn. If you've ever taught any subject, you're the first person that actually wants to, to learn it. And if you really care about your team, then the first thing you should do from being on a mountaintop is to describe the view and encourage them to join you. Mm. Because uh, leadership is, a, is an attitude, and it can be displayed at every level in the organization. And the more you teach it, the more the culture will grow. And, and the final thing is really to remember that when, when you're in a, in, a, in a leadership position, the decisions that you're making have far-reaching ramifications, not just for you, but for the rest of the community that you really serve. And if you think about the interests of that community, it won't always be quantitative it has to be qualitative. It needs to look in the longer term. It needs to look across the whole spectrum and take into account the entire community. Those were great answers. I'm all about fun, and that's actually the top. We're going to keep going because I'll cut it out. Um, I love the idea of making sure that fun is at the top because I think people, when they get stressed, when they get overworked, fun is the first thing that comes off the list, uh, the sense of enjoyment and the sense of self-care. Um, and when you're not smiling and laughing, then what's the point? Exactly. And, and also, there's a great phrase, I think, was once said by uh, um, 
uh, one of the one of the great mountain climbers, and they said it doesn't have to be fun to be fun. Mm-hmm. And because if yeah. people are being really challenged, then it's not always fun as you would conventionally know it. Mm-hmm. But people that are seeking their, their their potential are often the sort of people that make great leaders because not only do they seek their own potential, but they seek the potential of the others around them as well. Mm-hmm. And those people are those people are great liberators and great cat- catalysts, and they can come from any quarter. And that's the point about diversity is that you can't judge the rarity of leadership on the basis of its provenance. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't classify it by race or by gender or by age or by nationality. You take it from, where it, from wherever it comes. And that's a very American idea mm-hmm. of why America is such a great and strong democracy because it's a pluribus unum. Nobody cares where you're from. They care where you're going. And that's one of the things that I sometimes think America needs to be reminded mm-hmm. of, which is there's a lot more things that unite those people as Americans than divide them in terms of their political view. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great point, especially with what's going on right now underneath our noses of where we are regionally and, and mindset-wise. Well, that's the thing, that, which is that you know, one of the issues that came through in the, in the discussion with so many senior people was the notion that they were confused by these great paradoxes mm-hmm. which, were, which were around either we seem to be getting much faster in the way that we're able to do things, order it now, get it this afternoon, mm-hmm. swipe right, find a new partner, all that sort of thing. It happens. But that doesn't, but that, <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily make people any more patient. Yeah. In fact, there's evidence to suggest it's making them less patient because they come to demand the same standards of the offline world as they do in the online world. Mm -hmm. And there are certain aspects of that that don't work that way. Teaching, caring, uh, bringing up children, you can't run those at the speed of the internet. Uh, Everybody learns at different paces and things like that. So you need to have, you still need to remember to have the empathy Mm -hmm. with those people. Um, One of the most interesting interviews we did for this was a, a member of the clergy and uh, this this man was a, uh, a chaplain in a university. And 10 years ago, he was seeing perhaps one in every 100 uh, students for emotional or psychological problems. And, uh, and 10 years later, he's seeing 30 in 100. There's been an explosion of uh, psychological and emotional disorders amongst young people. And when we asked him why this was the case, he said, these people are surrounded by communication, mm-hmm. but they have no conversation. Yeah. There is no way of them negotiating. And, and if, if they can't negotiate, they can't resolve emotional problems, and they can't negotiate values in business and things like that, and they mm. find the world extremely confrontational mm. because nobody's ever had conversations with them or even listened to them. And so this is a fascinating area because if you talk to business leaders, they'll say, no one's listening to me. Mm. If you talk to, to students, they say, no one's listening to me. If you talk to uh, people in political movements, sometimes they'll say, no one's listening to me. Mm. Well, the pattern here is that no one's listening to anybody anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and so in order to in order to get to cut through that, you've got to start listening a little bit more mm-hmm. um, because it's very difficult, for instance, when you're dealing with a political movement to exp- to explain to people what pain is like mm-hmm. if you've never suffered it. Yeah, it sounds like it's it's a heightened awareness. Um, So I'm certified in energy leadership, and it basically breaks energy down into catabolic and anabolic. And it sounds like this immediate gratification is very much in this catabolic, either life is happening to me or I'm a victim of what's happening to Mm. me. So I need to fight it or I need to surrender to it. But it takes a new level of thinking and awareness to understand that you have many more options than what's just presented in front of you which is yeah. where empathy sits. Yes, indeed, which is the subject of my next book, which I'm working on al- 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 already, which which is about the lessons they never taught you in school. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so, for instance, on chronotype, most people know whether they're good in the morning or good in the evening. And, uh, and there's growing evidence among scientists that, if, for instance, administering, administering chemotherapy by chronotype has a big increase in the amount of T cells available. Interesting. Uh, uh, there's ed education uh, evidence as well that suggests that adolescents uh, tend to be generally late chronotypes. And if you set the exams in the, in the afternoon, they tend to do better in them because of their chronotype. Um, if you ask people where they recover their energy from, uh, people say some people say in a crowd of people, some people say on my own, mm -hmm. and most people know what they are, and so those things aren't taught. Another thing is about the provenance of real creativity, mm -hmm. and so when you look at people and you say to them, you know, where are you when you're getting your very best ideas, mm -hmm. these epiphanies, um, my first book, Too Fast to Think, t touched on that subject, and we asked 40 people where they were, and they said generally that they weren't at work, that generally they were on their own, and even more strange, they weren't ever trying. Mm. And that's when they got hit by these big ideas. And that rather suggests that there is a sub subconscious process mm -hmm. going on, which allows the real tapping into people's innate potential. Yeah. But not only not only do they not access it because they're so overwhelmed with data and constantly being uh, pushed to uh, in, into their into their left uh, analytical mm -hmm. brains, but they actually they actually don't take it seriously when it does happen. Mm -hmm. And so they end up trying harder and harder and harder and harder to get an understanding or an idea, mm -hmm. when in reality, if they actually backed off a little bit and allowed some space and time, the idea would come to them if they trusted themselves. You mean if people had patience, they could actually resolve things? Well, well patience with <laughs> others actually has to be preceded by patience with yourself. Yes. Well, this this sounds like it's, it's exactly what I coach around, which is force versus flow. So if you're muscling through something, you're like, why isn't this working? And I just say, where's your flow? Where do you find the joy in it? Where could this be fun? Bring you back to fun. Yeah. And it sounds like when things are in preference, whether it's in school or in anything that could be a stressful situation, it could actually create a better outcome just by leading into the flow preference of someone. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, too many people take themselves too seriously in, in too many different areas, and they actually don't realize that one of the roles of the of the of the leader is to make it okay for people to enjoy themselves and to remind them that this isn't a dress rehearsal. We don't pass this way again, and therefore you have to make the the, the most of it. And if you want to 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 be recognized as a leader, you have to recognize that most of the leadership characteristics are own, can only go with the verb to be mm -hmm. and yet leaders have a to-do list mm -hmm. and uh, as long as you're arm uh, probably a, a list that never ever gets ticked off mm -hmm. but they don't have a to-be list mm. and this is kind of interesting because if you ask people to describe their, their their bosses or describe their parents even they'll describe them as inspirational or supportive or restless or even a pain in the ass you know mm -hmm. they might describe them in all of those things but they have something in common you can only be those things. Mm -hmm. But when you ask uh, leaders to describe themselves or parents to describe themselves, they say, well, I get my son up in the morning and I drive them to school and I, I then pick them up and uh, help them with their homework. They're all things that, that are based around to do. Yeah. And there's a real difference between management and leadership. Mm -hmm. It's often said, there's an old phrase, that management is, is the principle of doing things right and leadership is the principle of doing the right things. Mm -hmm. Sounds similar, but they're, they're actually very yeah. different. So one of the things we advocate in the book is that leadership should actually have a to-be list, which you can't tick off. Mm -hmm. You have to be it, and you can say I've whether, I, whether that person's displayed those skills mm -hmm. on a regular basis, but they have to embrace values and not just quantities. 
Yeah. It has to be a qualitative approach as well. Wow, I'm just thinking if businesses had a to-be list as opposed to a mission statement that nobody believed in, what it would change in the way that people bought into the values of the organization. Well, it's not, you know it's not just about what a business does; it's about the way it does it mm-hmm. as well. And um, and uh, if you take Volkswagen as uh, for instance, a very popular uh, car company, and uh, they don't hate the way they build cars; they just hate the way that the corporation has appeared to lie about it. Yeah, so true. And I'm just thinking of how many people are staring at their to-do list, judging themselves, and and falling away from who they are and if they got back to their intentions and their to-be list how that could change things for them well sometimes you know the length of a to-do list is like some form of silent accusation Mm -hmm. for every type a type a personality that's (laughs) ever existed absolutely but i but i think there's the satisfaction of check i I attempted to write my first book called checkbox zombies and it didn't go very far because i stunted myself on my checkbox of checking the box off for checkbox zombies (laughs) so i got i got in check with my to-be and that's where that's where my book came from. But uh, what is on your to-be list? Well, it's certainly about fun, um, and and also about uh, make, granting other people permission to be able to to have fun in what they do uh, as well. And, um, and 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 if you can do that, obviously, I, I lead a, a creative firm, and it's very important that people take creative risk. Mm-hmm. And uh, and sometimes that will be rejected, and sometimes it will lead to the most brilliant concept and brilliant idea um, but it's also therefore about enabling those people and trying to, to keep some form of balance of course you never get balance right but it doesn't mean to say you shouldn't have the objective of wanting to do that mm-hmm. and the other thing is also recognizing going back to this issue of, 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 of finance which is that it's there to facilitate things it's not there it's not there to to be the be all and end all and, and this comes back to this notion that Pippa and I have often talked about, which is why men are so quantitative. Uh, she relates a story once where she was in a bar and a, a, a man came over to her and said, um, and said uh, me and my friends think you're a 10. And, uh, and I said to her, well, isn't was that, it out of? Isn't that, isn't that, <laughs> well, I assume, I assume out of 10. And, but I said, isn't, isn't that a good thing? And she said, no, it's not. I don't want to be a number. I want, mm. I, I want to be a person. And uh, and so we see an, a, an overwhelming obsession with quantitative issues mm-hmm. in, in in business culture that we need to know the number this year's number is it bigger than last year's number mm-hmm. quarter by quarter we measure it rather than 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 trusting our intuitive approach which is that again when I've asked those people about where where they had those epiphanies mm-hmm. I asked them where they thought whether they thought they had to validate the idea by research or whether they just knew it was a good idea. Mm-hmm. And when people are hit by these epiphanies, they know. They don't need a researcher or an opinion poll to back them up. They know it's a good idea. And so we do have to come back to this balance of the intuitive. And I'm not saying we should abandon all forms of rationalism or even drill down analysis. I'm just saying we might get a little bit more out of it if we balanced it a bit more. And this is where the gender debate comes in, because in, on every every measure that we've seen, uh, feminine skills in the in the boardroom are more collaborative. They're more imaginative. They tend to, they tend also to to be less confident. Mm-hmm. And every statistic that we've seen suggests, for instance, that men will apply for a job even when they're not ready for it, mm-hmm. whereas women will only only allow their name to go forward for a position when they're absolutely 100 percent certain they mm-hmm. can do it. And that 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 level of confidence co- correlating with competence is something that we really do need to look at. Well, I can't wait to read the Leadership Lab. I have my copy right here. 
and I'm going to bring it home and, and dive into it. This is fascinating. But I do have two questions to ask you that I ask all of my guests. What would you consider to be your Spitfire superpower? My, my superpower is the ability to improvise. Uh, all, all, my, all my life I've been uh, thrown into situations where I've had to improvise. And so uh, Im- improvising is, is, is definitely one skill because sometimes people say, well, I don't have this particular thing, so I can't get it done. I think if you want to get something done, you can improvise a way of doing it. It has to be two. No, just one. Oh, and right, I have right, another yeah. question for you. Okay. The flip side of it is, what is your kryptonite? Which is my 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 kryptonite? Well, I, I think po- probably if I if I don't if I don't have space and time to to recover, because I I think some people some people when they ask you say, what do you do at the weekend? And uh, and and the, and you say, well, I didn't do anything. They go, oh, what a loser! What a loser you are! <laughs> that sounds because glorious to it's, me. <laughs> it's, it's, and so, I, so my kryptonite is 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 when I don't get time to 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 spend enough time uh, thinking. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with with being on your own. I don't think there's anything wrong with creating space and time around you, mm-hmm. because the space and time that you create around you is the equivalent of the mental and emotional space that you want to give to people who you genuinely do like people. Mm-hmm. And so, and so sometimes I often think people don't allow themselves a break just to remind themselves and get back to a mindful state where they actually really do consider how lucky they are and how much gratitude they should display for the basic things they enjoy. Mm. Well, I think this is a perfect ending. Nice little gratitude cherry on top of this awesome Leadership Lab Sunday. Chris Lewis, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I'm going to give you some space for you to reflect on your amazing success. This is the October Book of the Month, uh, Business Book of the Month for the Financial Times. So congratulations on that and all of your future success with this. And I can't wait to hear about your next book. And we can talk more about it on the Spitfire podcast. And thanks, Lauren. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. And for all the Spitfires out there, keep being awesome. Thanks so much for listening to episode 48 with Chris Lewis. If you haven't already, head on over to Apple Podcasts or whoever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed for the Spitfire podcast and stay tuned for future awesome episodes. Make sure you leave a review, share it, pass it along, and remember to keep being awesome.